Welcome to Exploring Innovation, a podcast where we discuss the challenges of managing and driving innovation in what we like to call traditional organizations. So basically, this is not a podcast on startups or companies like Tesla, Spotify or Google. This is a podcast where the methods and tools those companies have used to basically explode in size are discussed in the context of ordinary companies and companies and organizations whose business models basically are the same today as it, they were when uh, the iPhone was launched. Uh, my name is Tobias Eklund. Uh, I have, before joining Hello Future, which is the company behind this podcast, worked in large international organizations and uh, will do my best to keep that perspective, to therefore try to take your perspective while interviewing our guests. Today's guest is someone who has spent a lot of time thinking about these issues. Uh, welcome, Kalle Jägers. Thank you so very much. Good to be here. Good to have you here. Uh, so briefly, who are you? Well, I'm uh, currently head of our team of uh, innovation and design people, uh, which means that I basically coach a number of talented individuals who work with either innovation, lead and management or different kinds of service design, I would say. Uh, before I did that, well, actually, I'm, I'm one of the co-founding members of Hello Future. I would say I was with the company as we started out as Hello Future. Um, before joining, I uh, spent a number of years in the academia. Uh, did my PhD in informatics, so I've been like teaching and uh, doing some research, uh, basically in user-centered design. That's my like academic perspective on things. Uh, so I've been working like less couple of, I would say, almost 20 years now within different kinds of digital innovation processes and different kinds of user-centered design processes. So, well, that's like the brief background. Um, since I'm, <laughs> I'm having this academic legacy, I could talk for the rest of the hour of my <laughs> historical <laughs> journeys within this areas. Let, let's let's, let's uh, not do let's, that today. <laughs> let's not do that today. But, but I think the important thing is you have a... a um, a deep and sincere understanding of uh, academia uh, and and uh, you have that perspective which uh, which is quite interesting because you know a lot of people who talk about these these uh, about innovation are a lot of entrepreneurs or self-made men and women and uh, not that many people have have their true academic background so that's that's going to be interesting yeah, and I think it's a it's a real uh, asset when it comes to these kinds of processes that we work with today. I mean, doing innovation today in this rapidly changing world, you often need to be at the edge and the frontier of what research actually can tell you. So I think a lot of the practice that we do today is very experimental. It's based on, on I would say, almost the scientific process when we need to find the proper solutions for different clients in different situations. So it's... I think it's uh, it's really an asset to have that kind of experience in, in, in this domain today uh, because also I think we see a lot of, of examples where we need to develop new methods as we work in order to solve the upcoming problems that we try to solve. So uh, being part of like this evolving movement of innovation, I think it's a, it's a good perspective to bring. Uh, and as you say, it's something that you... You, uh, you can often utilize in context where other people bring other kinds of perspectives that together become something really good when you work as a team. Yeah. And, and uh, I've invited you here today to, to discuss um, 
a a model that we picked up because I mean it's it's a good thing we don't have to invent everything ourselves. There are a lot of intelligent, uh, bright people out there uh, all over the world uh, thinking about these. And and uh, I know you have gone through a number of models and methods and so forth. And and uh, today we're going to discuss what I believe is one of your favorites. Uh, what yes. are we going to discuss? We're going to talk about the three box solution. It's, and as you mentioned, Ooh. it is actually one of my favorite models for so many reasons. But um, yeah, I think it's, uh, as hopefully will become clear during this podcast episode, it's a really neat and intuitive way to start uh, uh, creating a balance in your organization uh, when you understand that you have a need to conduct innovation at the same time as you do some kind of optimization of your current business. Uh, but you also need to, from time to time, stop doing things and let go of, of the past. Uh, so I think uh, I think it's a really good model to, to use in order to create a good kind of balance in your organization today, a balance that I think uh, many successful organizations who have been so over time actually managed to do quite well. Good. So. What is the three-box solution? Well, basically, it's a model uh, developed by a Harvard professor named Vijay Govindarajan. I'm not sure about how to pronounce his name correctly, but that's my take on it in like Swedish English. Professor Govindarajan has been studying uh, a lot of high-performing organizations throughout the world over many years uh, with a strong focus on innovation. So he's, I think, one of the most distinguished experts on innovation today, I would say, at least from my perspective. Uh, but I think what, what he identified quite early was that, yeah, there is this need in many organizations to create this kind of balance that I mentioned, that you need to balance the evolving process of conducting innovation, which requires uh, different kind of methods and toolkits and measurements and skills and, and different mindsets compared to a lot of the other stuff we do as organizations today. Uh, but you can't only do innovation, you also need to have a strong focus on optimizing your current business because that's what's going to feed uh, your organization and create the current value of what you do. Uh, so he, I think he identified quite early the tension between uh, these two aspects of conducting work within an organization. You need to have different kind of tool sets, mindsets and methods uh, in order to optimize what you already do to do that in a better way tomorrow. Uh, to be it more uh, profitable or to be yeah whatever you would like to achieve uh, at the same time if you if you don't uh, manage to at the same time conduct some kind of innovation systematically you're going to fail in the long run you're going to be obsolete uh, in an upcoming future and i think this is uh, extremely relevant to us in these days i think the last five or six years or so we see a, a really huge interest in this tension because more and more organizations today experience this kind of tension and, and also are kind of lacking means to, to handle it in a good way. Uh, but, so I think the, the model that he presented was a really good way to understand what you need to balance as an organization in order to achieve success over time. Uh, and I think that kind of balance uh, on a, like a major level, I think it, it it's about how you organize your resources, basically, how you spend your time and your focus and your efforts in an organization. So maybe I should say some words about what the model actually is and not just talk around it. But <clears throat> in a very straightforward way, Mr. Gwendarjan presents uh, three different boxes in this model that you, uh, as an organization, need to manage and you need to balance them in a good way. 
Box number one is about uh, the current business model and what you do today in order to create value. That's like all the everyday business uh, processes you conduct, uh, the production you do of whatever you produce. Uh, it could be services or, or uh, entities of other kinds. I mean, that's like what you do today to generate value and what people need you to do. Uh, in this yeah, and, th and that's what, uh, I mean, modern organizations are extremely good at this and, 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 and at really all the time getting better and better and more efficient in doing what they do. Yeah, I mean the whole exactly. We have lean perspective and yeah, I think we have the last thirty years or so. I think in the Western world at least we've been really good at optimizing box number one, uh, finding new ways of conducting different kind of lean methods, Six Sigma and so on and so forth. So we've been really good at being more efficient at what we do and what we know that we could do. And we've been developing different kind of KPIs and all of these other kind of metrics to to see how we perform different kind of quality measurement systems and, and basic structures to support the optimization of box number one. So this yeah. is something we're really good at, especially in Sweden, where most of our clients are today, that, or at least many of our clients are today, that we see a strong tradition of optimizing the well-known in box number one. Uh, so yeah, we're his historically very engineer-driven. Yeah, because um, it's, yeah. it's quite the engineering-based logic to do that kind of optimization. And this is good, because yeah. this is what kind of feeds the organization. I think Professor Govindarjan calls it the, I think the name is like the, the roots of the organization. This is where they nurture themselves. This is where you get your, your nutrition that you need in order to thrive as an organization. Uh, mm -hmm. So optimizing box number one is really good. That's something we should continuously keep doing. It's more and more important now in the ever-changing uh, world that we live in that you keep doing these optimizations. But that's not enough, because if you want to succeed over time, it's not going to be enough to optimizing what you already have. You also need to develop new things that can be part of your future success. Um, you need to work with innovation processes in order to create some kind of future value, some kind of value that you don't really know today what it is, but you need to explore different kind of paths, you need to evaluate on the road, uh, and you need to make a lot of experiments uh, in, the, in the area of innovation. And this is uh, something that in the model he, he calls it box number three. Uh, I'm gonna get back okay. to box number two in just a minute, because I yeah. think there's a really interesting major difference between box number one and box number three. Because uh, in box number three, you put every effort that you do uh, in terms of driving innovation. That's where you keep the processes that you use, uh, the mindset that you use, the different kind of skill sets you use in order to create something new. Uh, so the perspective of box number three needs to be in the future. It should be like five or 10 years ahead of what you are doing today. So you can't really just make a linear line between your current box one and what should be in box number three, because that's not going to be, uh, probably not going to be the right uh, area of innovation for you to, to be successful in the future. So, so how, how, once again, I mean, how, how, how do you differentiate if it's a box three initiative or a box one initiative? I think, it has, to, it has yeah. to be five to 10 years ahead. That's one of the aspects you need to think quite far ahead when you do innovation stuff in box number three. And also I think the, the most important difference is that the things you explore in box number three, you don't really know today what you're going to use and in what way. So you need to be a bit more open, you need to uh, like uh, watch and study the weak signals you get when it comes to technology development, when it comes to 
other kinds of development in the world. Uh, you need to have an eye on, on what kind of technologies that possibly could be mature in five years from now. Uh, you need to be a bit aware of how people's uh, needs and expectations and behavior uh, probably will change in the upcoming five or ten years. So uh, in box number three you need to have a bit more of a holistic perspective and you also need to be quite free from what you do in box number one. On the other hand, if you, you do development work in box number one, which many companies do today, I mean, that's a natural part of optimizing your current business model. That if you can create new value within that business model or just extend it into new areas or new markets, I mean, that's going to be a good business for you right now. So you, you need to do some kind of devo development in box number one, but in that case, you can base it on the uh, historical path of your organization. You can use data and insights that you have knowledge from the past and knowledge about what you do today, and you can base that kind of, of uh, development on those uh, learnings and on that kind of knowledge. When you're in box number three, uh, you rarely have that kind of history to rely on. So you need to look at new things with new fresh perspectives and you need to explore them in order to understand eventually how you're going to use this or not. I think a lot of the initiatives you take in box number three is stuff that you will never actually do something with. But you need to explore them in order to learn about them and learn why you should do something or why you shouldn't do something. So I think that's a major difference. When you do development in box number one, you have uh, an historical past to rely on. You can, uh, you can also find quite good arguments in the knowledge that you already have for why you should do something new and what that new thing should be. When you develop stuff in box number three, you don't really have that past. So you need to uh, explore new opportunities and uh, make new learnings. You need to create the learning outcome of what you do that you can't really do when you are in box number one. So basically, if you, if you can build a business model around something, it's box number one. If we if we uh, allocate y amount of resource, you we, we will gain x in either becoming more efficient or earning or or um, in earnings or something like that. And then it's then it's a box one initiative. Yeah, if if you can formulate that kind of hypothesis and you can actually do the maths and it will seem plausible, then you are doing something in box one. I would say. Because if you try okay. to make that equation in box number three, you're going to end up with not having enough information. You, you don't have the data. You can't really rely on those kinds of, of uh, calculations at the same time as you, you try to understand what it is that you're calculating on. So yeah, that's the difference. If you have something that's specific and you can formulate that kind of specific hypothesis that you described, you're most likely in box one. And especially if it works, if you do that kind of work, you have a plan, you execute the plan and you see that the income will follow. Yeah, that's that's the classic case of doing business development in box number one. And what's the, and then what, what's the major output of the work in box three then? Learning new stuff. Yeah, you have output on many levels. First of all, you learn new stuff about new things that occur on the horizon. So you're better prepared when those things mature eventually and, and will become something that you or others can use. Uh, and I think the second most important contribution of the box three is that you, you can explore and develop new early concepts which you can try uh, and e evaluate and uh, learn from in a quite uh, quite safe manner. You don't need to invest 20 million in a budget uh, and make a bet and if it doesn't turn out you have just wasted those money all down the drain. So I think you, if you explore, use the explorative uh, dimension of Box 3 in the correct way, you can test quite early ideas uh, and get feedback on them and see, okay, how far are we from having a mature market for these ideas? And, what are the obstacles right now 
to doing these things? Is it a technological obstacle or is it that people don't really need these kind of solutions right now? They could need them in five years, but we're too early. Uh, or it could be something else. And you can also use that kind of prototyping processes in order to understand new needs when they occur and new behaviors and see, start to work on solutions that, okay, you have an idea after you've been trying out some pro different kind of prototypes for ideas that, okay, we, we could do something like this in the future. It can't be done today. People don't really seem prepared to pay for this today or we don't have the, the means in other areas to, to produce this today. Uh, but we're ready when the future comes. When when the world is ready for this, we, we are not on like the first step of evolvement, but we are somewhere down the road and can be more rapid when it comes to, to make use of these opportunities that we see. So I think that's the second most important part, that you can use like future prototypes in order to understand how people's needs change over time and learn from that and also see what kind of, of uh, possible solutions to different problems will be available in the future. And, and could we make something out of this? Uh, so that's also like an important dimension of, of innovation work in Box 3. But then I also think it's, it's uh, a way of preparing the organization for an uh, upcoming world that we don't know that much about. I think we, in the last couple of years, we've seen a lot of rapid change in the world. We have seen people change their behavior in really short times and also the need for different kind of solutions. So I think by doing different kind of research on what's happening in the world around you and different kind of explorative experiments in box number three, I think you create an understanding and you can also like, based on those, create different scenarios. If the future goes in this direction, that would mean something for us and then we need to do these things. Or if it goes in another direction, yeah, then we have other opportunities or other problems that we need to face and so on. So when the future actually happens, which I pretty much think it, it does every day, you're prepared, no matter what it will be. You have, you're not starting on like square number one, you're, you're actually some part ahead on, on the path. Uh, and you recognize the future when you see it. It's not going to come as a surprise. And this, I think, is really important from a strategic perspective of an organization that in order to create some kind of capacity for dealing with an ever-changing world, you need to conduct systematic work in box three. Otherwise, you will be constantly surprised with what kind of things people do, what they say, what they need, and how customer needs change. And it, to you, it's going to appear like oh, an overnight change. On the other hand, if you've done some systematic work in box three, it's going to be a quite expected change, even though you didn't know exactly how that change were going to turn out. So it, by doing systematic work in box number three, you prepare yourself as an organization for the future, whatever it may be. I understand. It's, it sounds, it sounds uh, in a theoretical perspective, really. I mean, of course, every organization should do this. Yeah. Um, but I think a lot of organizations have a problem in allocating resources to, to something that you... I mean, it's very fuzzy. Yeah. What, what is the outcome? Yeah, we'll, we'll know if people are ready for we're not ready for for this kind of uh, product in seven years uh, but when, but the, on the other hand like the top management is looking at the next quarterly yeah. quarterly budget and and how do you in the world that we live in with where, you know where efficiency uh, is is the holy grail how how does how do you manage to get resources to be allocated into something that that fuzzy what, what's your experience on that i think there are two keys to to solve that kind of 
to unlock that kind of, of situation, I would say. The first is to, and the uh, first one we can find in box number two, which I haven't mentioned yet in the model. <laughs> Strikes me now. Ah. Box, because box number two is about forgetting about the past, like dropping things that you don't need anymore or that from a strategic perspective won't take you where you want to go as an organization. I think in order to create this balance between different activities, you don't only need to uh, just optimize the, f the, the things you do today or uh, look at what you can invent for tomorrow. You also need to stop doing some things just in order to free the resources you need to uh, make room for something new in box number one. Eventually stuff in box number three is going to mature and going to be something that you can make a new business out of. Then you need to have the resources available. Uh, and the kind of the space available for these uh, opportunities to actually be part of your ongoing uh, business model. So I would say that box number two activities, which mainly are focused about forgetting about uh, different kind of values that we had in the past that took us somewhere and were, was really important for us as an organization, but don't really serve us on the path that we want to go now into the future. Uh, it could be about uh, stop doing different kind of work processes that we've done in the past that were quite successful then but don't really give the result that we want today. It could be about different kinds of business models that we have been successful in but don't really uh, apply anymore and I think a really good example is the paper newspaper business model which uh, quite obviously had a really good uh, value as a business model in the past, but yeah, that's not what the media industry is based upon anymore. I mean, it's not really a good idea to invest in a paper press for newspapers today. That's not going to be the case in anywhere. Uh, so I think that's the first part of unlocking the situation, that uh, if you do successful work in box number two, to stop doing things that don't really make sense anymore or don't really help you in your strive for the, a good future, uh, then you will free some resources that you can use elsewhere. Exactly where, it's up to you to decide, but I think a lot of them should be invested in box three activities, but also I think a lot of them should be used to create space for innovations that are mature enough to be brought down from box three into box number one. So that's the first part. I think the other one is to, to treat box number three not as something like expensive and uh, a bit fluffy and a bit, um, yeah, undefined. I think there are quite good systems for creating systematic exploration in box number three. And I think there are, uh, for instance, the ISO 56000 standards for innovation lead and innovation management. I think that's a really good start uh, to use if you want to create a systematic uh, activity out of your box three activities. I mean, from that perspective, it doesn't become more loose in or fluffy than doing anything that you do in box number one. And you can also in a clearer way see what kind of long-term value you would get out of your box free. Uh, because I think also uh, like the third major important key to this situation is to have uh, a clear vision as we talked about earlier in this podcast that okay you need to have a vision for your organization where you want to be in 10 years. If you don't have that kind of target to aim for you don't really know what parts of your box one that you need to start making into box number two activities and forget about and you don't really know where to direct your efforts in box number three. And in that situation, mm. if you don't have that vision in place, it's easy to come from the box one perspective and claim that everything we do in box number three right now is just a use, uh, misuse of resources. This is a waste. We should stop doing all this kind of different fluffy stuff that no one see any value of today. 
if you have a clear vision of where you want to go in the future, what you want to deliver in 10 years from now, then you can also uh, find easier ways to motivate what you should do in box number three right now in order to get there. So then you have a target and a goal for your innovation processes. And if you also combine that with the systematic thinking of the ISO standard, you get the pretty solid model for working with innovation that can be quite easily explained to people who are used to talk about development in terms of efficiency. I think yeah. that's uh, like some of the keys to, to unlock that situation. Yeah, the, uh, yeah, we forgot about the box number two, uh, but of course, that that must be a tricky, uh, a tricky box oh, in yes. most organizations. From from my experience, I mean, stop doing things is, by my experience, extremely hard. Oh yes, to to persuade uh, the, you know, customers or or your 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 staff or whatever to okay this is a process that we're not, we're going to discontinue or whatever it is tell me more about about uh, the struggles of box number 2 uh, box 2 work yeah what are your experiences yeah i think first govindarjan presents it quite uh, in a quite understandable manner i think in, when he launched the model in his book that okay if you don't uh, if you don't put things in box number 2 you you end up in a situation where you have a lot of of constraints, you have some things that holding your back uh, that like keeps you from developing in the pace that you need to have. I mean, that's it's going to be a struggle. There's going to be some kind of change holding your back, uh, and I think that's that's what happens when you don't uh, manage to do stuff in box number two. That you will end up feeling like okay, something's holding me back here. Right? We're not we're not developing in the in the pace that we need to be uh, we don't really see the progress that we need to see something we do a lot of stuff but we, we don't really get the pace here uh, so i think that's that's what's going to happen if you if you fail to to uh, conduct box two activities and i think one of the reasons why it's so hard to to identify those activities is that i mean in most cases, as an organization, you have invested in a lot of your activities historically. You have spent a lot of money, resources. You have many people who understand those activities quite well. They maybe have done some kind of professional career based on knowledge about those activities. So if you introduce the thought that, okay, we're going to cut out these processes that we are uh, conducting right now. We're going to end doing this, this and that. We're not going to keep this business model going. Of course, people are going to be protective about this because they see a risk here. Okay, what does that mean to my career? And okay, this is like everything I know at this company today. So am I going to be obsolete now when we finish doing these things? Uh, and there's also this uh, risk that you take that, okay, what if we throw out something that we actually could have used for five more years? That is it too early to, to stop doing this right now? When is the right time to put this that we're looking at right now in box number two? Uh, it's not an easy decision to stop doing something that historically was a major success. It could be something that defines you as an organization. Yeah, you're known for doing this because you've been doing this for 20 years and that's like mm. a fundamental part of your brand. Now the market don't really need this anymore and you need to start to finish this off and do something else instead. Hopefully something you already know what it will be like because you have explored different options in box number three. But in that situation, it's going to be a really hard decision to make. Uh, is it the right time right now to stop doing this or should we wait a bit longer? And it's always easier to wait a bit longer, to wait and see. We need yeah. more information. We need more assurance that this is the right decision. And yeah, hopefully you, you stop doing this before it's too late. Otherwise, you're going to end up having a situation where you throw away a lot of money and, and time and, and efforts into something that works less and less well. So I think, yeah, that, that's 
some of the reasons I think why it's hard to do stuff in box number two because you're going to challenge a historically successful past. You're going to challenge what people have invested in right now. You're going to create a lot of anxiety because people's going to uh, people's going to reflect upon if this affects them or not, if it's a good or bad mm -hmm. thing for my career. At the same time, when you do it, you're going to get a lot of space available. You're going to have people who discovers these spaces and, and understand that, okay, this is actually something that it's really good riddance. I've done this for 15 years, but yeah, I can't really see the, the value of this anymore. This opens up for new opportunities. Maybe I could do this and this and that instead in the space that we create. Uh, and maybe I should launch those ideas and try to be an active part of what we fill this void with when we stop doing this historically uh, successful things that we don't really need anymore. So it's really a, a tricky balance. Now I can understand why a lot of, of companies and organizations have problems with box number two, that it's harder to throw away something that you know exactly what it is than to react something new that you don't really know what it is. And, and, and I mean, I, I've done some, the, the personal, um the personal aspects by on an employee level of, of stopping doing something that they've done for 20 years is uh, that's a really big obstacle. I, I was a marketing manager for a big, big company uh, in the automotive industry, and I decided to stop, uh, stop with the magazine, the customer magazine, and put those resources, resources into building a customer portal. And Jesus Christ, um, the... <laughs> The friction, mostly from people above a certain age, <laughs> but but it was it was a, a I mean younger people understood. Of course, it's better to get an email now and then, and they can you can get all your automotive data in a customer portal and the service history and all these things. Um, that was fine by many, but a lot of the retailers and a lot of the staff at this organization were really really not up to ending this customer magazine that had gone out five times a year for 35 years yeah. and, and 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 i mean the, the economics were so clear and and everyone understood it in a strategic perspective but i i the personal the feeling perspective uh, from the staff and and also customers um that that uh, called and mailed and and so forth that was a big a big obstacle to um, come over. So the box two, the box two work is not always uh, pleasant <laughs> to, no. to drive. <laughs> As you say, if you want to address the emotional aspects of, of finishing off old stuff that you don't really could use anymore or need anymore, I think it's perhaps the only thing you can do that actually have a like clear effect is to create something enthusiastic about the new things. Uh, okay, we're going to end yeah. doing this because we're going to do these new things that actually are more attractive to people. So I, I think mm. you need to put in a lot of efforts to to make people understand this. Okay, why are we cutting this well-known, loved old magazine out? I mean, in, in all situations where you put something in box two, you need to have a really strong argument in what you want to do instead. If you just do it in order to yeah. save money, I mean, that's going to be a certain defeat because, yeah, you're going to raise all the friction but don't get any benefit from this, at least not on a, an mm. emotional level. So I think the, the key to having, like, a, perhaps not that r bumpy ride when you do something, uh, play something in box number two, is to have a strong focus on what we're going to do instead. Try to 
to make a clear picture of, okay, this is our vision, this is what we're trying to achieve in, in the upcoming years, this is where we want to be. We want to be somewhere better than what we are today. So this is a natural step on that way. We, this is progress yeah. that we need to make and, and perhaps try to sell in the new change that, okay, this, what we, this is what's coming instead. Get people to focus on the new instead of, of just focusing on what we're dropping right now, which is really hard. I mean, it takes, I think, a joint effort of different activities, not just marketing the newest ideas internally or in making people informed. You also need to make some kind of efforts to make people take part in this and see that I have a better position in this than what I had in the old structure that we're leaving right now. Okay. But is, is that often the case? I mean, out of my perspective, the, 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 the people that are stuck in the old processes are maybe not the best suited to, to work exploratory in, in uh, box three and, and work with with the new stuff. I mean, it's a bit off topic, but it's and maybe something, something we should come back to. But it's it's uh, it's um, yeah, it, it's not really often the same capabilities needed. Yeah, I think from a human perspective, I think no one would be satisfied and harmonic if they work 100% in box three, because it's going to be, yeah, it's going to be exhausting to be there. Just working with innovation every day, nothing is routine. It's just all new learnings every time you go to work. So I think from, I don't think anyone would be like to be there for like 100%. You need to have some routine work that you know at, as well. Um, at the same time, I think there are some people that don't need to be there at all. They have no personal lead to, to be invested in innovation processes because it's not going to be useful for them. They, they get some kind of sense of meaning and, and idea of value when they do something that they can see an instant feedback on that actually gives a result. Uh, so I think First of all, it's important that not everyone should be in box number three, and also perhaps not that anyone sh everyone should care about what we do in box number three. As long as you don't disturb that activities, it's perfectly fine if you work solely in, in box number one. Uh, at the same time, I think you need to have people, you know, if you want to be there, you should have an opportunity, maybe not more than 20% of your work time, but still, if you have that on a regular basis, and if you understand what's happening in that box, you're not going to be surprised when things actually come out of that. So, but I don't think we should like invite all people in the organization at the same time and that, okay, everyone should be on board on this at the same pace because that's not going to happen. People are so no. different when it comes to what they value, how they uh, see value creation and, and what they're comfortable with. So I think those who are really curious about box free work and, and have a strong interest, yeah, you should give them the opportunities to work there. At the same time, yeah, there are others that don't need to know everything about what's going on, but I think on a fundamental level, they need to know what's happening in terms of what are they doing on a general level? What kind of work is conducted here? What can we expect from it? When stuff uh, comes out of box three and enters box one, I mean, we should have some kind of landing site for that and, and people should be prepared or at least understand what's going on there, even if they're not involved. And that's, I think, uh, 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 an information issue to deal with. It's easy for us, at least in Sweden, I think a lot of clients try to get everyone on board at the same time. We, yeah, now we should work a bit focused on innovation, so everyone should take part in that. Even if you're not prepared for it, even if you don't like to be there, you should be a part of it because that's like, it's a democratic and equal way to make use of every opportunity that we have, like, to use every person's experience because it's valuable. And of course it is, but yeah. perhaps not at the same time. You need to have a good pace there when people, uh, get the opportunity to be involved at the pace that they select by themselves, I would say. 
Okay. Because here we're touching on the organizational perspective. Uh, when, I, when I hear about this model, it's, it's very easy to think that, okay, the majority of the people are working with, in, within box one, the current business model uh, and making that more efficient and, and delivering better services and goods and so forth. And then you like have a, a team of, uh, of designers and engineers and so forth that are working in box three. And then the box two is probably not a team because nobody wants to to just work with <laughs> the cut down work with that. But yeah. but uh, maybe you have you have you know sort of hit squad going around and <laughs> killing killing processes. But what what's your um, what's your take on that? Mm. I mean, how how have you seen uh, both from Govendarian's book and and from our uh, you know your work with different clients? How do, yeah. how do you organize this? I've seen some different ways of doing this with different outcomes. I would say a, a quite general way to do is is to have like okay a, a small squad of people who are really good at innovation processes working in box three um, uh, like okay those are the infrastructure of the box number three but they can't work alone full time they're yeah. like f- full-time employees within box yeah. three. okay yeah and i mean they're responsible of driving the the innovation system and kind of facilitating the system because they can't work alone they need to have experts from box one available at different uh, different times so they shouldn't be like an outside squad setting the innovation agenda for the rest of the organization. They should have a strategic purpose uh, and they should have a clear goal with the system and they should uh, evaluate their efforts not by themselves only but on a strategic level as well. But I think they yeah, they should be like the backbone of the box three. I, I see some really good examples where this actually worked quite well but they also take part as, as like okay we are the facilitators of the process. So. When they launched this kind of structure in the first uh, first time uh, at the launch, I think most of the time they will spend is to help people solve problems in box number one by using innovation methods. Because then they're going to earn the trust of the rest of the organization that, okay, this innovation department is actually good. They help us out. They make our lives easier down here in box number one. Mm-hmm. So when they call for action that, okay, we want to explore a new area here, we need people to, to attend, it's easier for them to get engagement. So they can invite people from box number one activities that, okay, you get 20% of your time this, this upcoming semester to invest in box three activities. There are some projects you can attend. Uh, and then, then they staff up with experts that they need. So that's one way of, of solving this. Another is to use it as like, um, and, and in this way, it's, it becomes more like an open lab for that organization. They have a, a clear structure for it. They're measured in some different areas. They often use um, the ISO standard as a the systematic way of, of measuring their innovation system. But then they make use of the resources of the rest of the organization and become an enabler of stuff. They do some box one innovations that can be used here now, but they have a strong focus on the long-term innovation processes. Uh, especially after they have earned the trust of the rest of the organization. Uh, another way of doing it is to uh, to create some kind of internal incubator and call that the box three uh, activities that they you can come uh, from any part of the rest of the organization you can come in with a, an idea for something and then we try to facilitate that idea and staff it up with different kind of experts in in the box three department and and create some kind of internal startup out of this idea that's uh, uh, quite common way as well uh, which is I think yeah it's quite it can work quite good depending on the on the fuel of that system and the f- by fuel I mean what kind of ideas people actually bring to the table uh, 
most organizations do in that way, I think, will use uh, a lot of those resources in Box 3 to, to solve Box 1 problems, actually, more or less, uh, uh, with more or less awareness, but still that's going to happen, I think, if all the ideas come from people working quite deeply in Box 1 processes, I think it's, it's going to be a strategic problem. You need some influx as well. Uh, we also yeah. see some other examples where you team up with others in your Box 3 activities that you you have an internal R&D team, for instance, but you uh, you invest in relationships with uh, the researchers at universities or different kind of governmental research agencies or other companies. So by exploring things in larger networks, you hope to bring some of that knowledge back to your own organization mm -hmm. and that becomes your box three uh, work and activities. And I think you need to do a lot of this at the same time actually to succeed and you need to find your own way as an organization. I don't think there is one formula that will work for everyone. I think most successful examples I've seen, at least in, in those uh, areas where our clients are active, is that they have some kind of systematic approach to Box3 and they have some experts in that kind of, of working processes, uh, but they're also not something that are completely disconnected from the rest of the organization. They have some kind of uh, they create meaning on a regular basis for other parts as well, uh, which also makes it possible for them to invite people and they will gladly attend because yeah, they trust these guys. This, this is an, a really good uh, addition to our, our organization and not like something alien that we don't really understand. Okay. And who takes care of Box 2 then? I mean, how, how is that taken care of? Yeah, I think that that's it's just an ongoing process within Box yeah. One, so to speak. Yeah, I think if you use different kind of, uh, of uh, for instance, lean methods, I think a lot of the outcome when you do rationalizations there will be Box Two candidates. You can identify them by using different kind of methods for creating higher efficiency in Box Number One. So it's like it's not disconnected. It's the same case with Box Two and Box One the relationship between those is not like um, they're completely disconnected that someone comes in externally and identifies something in box one that you should quit of course you can make a strategic choice on like um, the, the the ceo level that okay we have a business branch that we don't believe in anymore that it's not going to fit our upcoming strategy so we make a, an executive decision to cut that branch of course that's yeah. that's one way of, of producing stuff for box number two at the same time, you get a lot of small stuff out of, of doing efficiency uh, and production productivity increasing work in box number one, which b will be like mm. um, a natural outcome of doing that. So I don't think you need like a special team for box number two, and I don't think you need um, that kind of specific methods as well. Uh, I think in many cases, what you need to do is is at the same in the same way as you try to mine your employees for ideas as you often do when you want to do innovation work um, you could also mine your employees for ideas for box number two to reflect on stuff that they really would like to get rid of if it's a reporting yeah. system or if it's a way of doing business or whatever it is that okay what can we identify that we're fed up with that this wouldn't be a friction at all if we end up with not doing anymore so I think that's yeah that's maybe a structural way of, of doing a bit more of a creative work in box number two that not just focus on the what's need to be cut out from an efficiency perspective, but also, okay, if we have uh, constructive ideas at the same level as we do when we talk about ideas for innovation, uh, maybe those ideas could be the foundation of what we do in box number two. And that's interesting. I've, I've been to a lot of idea generating uh, workshops and so forth, but I've never been to any sort of meeting or workshop or any at all that asks the question, what should we stop doing? So that's a, that's a good uh, that's a good tip. 
Yeah. Okay, so so we have the three box solution. We we have three boxes. Um, we have box one, which is basically what we do today, uh, the business model that we have, and the, and the constant uh, fine tuning of that. We have the box three where we do the explorative work to 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 drive drive innovation in a long term perspective, and the box two where we put all the stuff we should stop doing to free re- resources to to work in box three. Is that correct? Yeah, correctly so understood. Pretty good summary. So, so what are the what are the what are the advantages and disadvantages of these this this mind model? I think the first really major advantage is that it's very intuitive. The first time you explain this model to someone, you you can almost see the cogs ticking in their brain. Like, okay, you start to analyze yourself when you hear about the model. That okay, what's our box number one in our organization, and what are we actually doing in box number three now that I understand innovation in this way. So I think it's a very easy way to start to ana- do some kind of basic analysis of, okay, where are we today and, and where's our focus today? Are we actually having this kind of balance and, and, and what's the status? So it's easy to start to do uh, different kind of, of uh, exercises and analysis based on the model. And it's very easy to understand. It's, it's coherently explained and it, it also, I think, focuses on the most important parts you need to have a good understanding about if you want to create this kind of balance. Uh, so that's, that's, I think, the really good parts. That it's it's uh, easy to understand, it's easy to start to use. That's like the major, major positives, I think, of this model. Yeah. And also I think it's good that it brings together the three perhaps most important aspects of creating a, a healthy balance in any kind of, of organizational development over time. So that's that's on the good side. I think what's maybe a weakness is that as easy as it is to start analyzing things with this model, uh, it doesn't really give you that algorithmic guidance in how to do stuff. Uh, I think they they released a really good book the other year about um, different a playbook for box three if you want to start doing box three activities and you don't know anything about it. I think so that's a good support from from Govindarjan. and you can also find other sources that will help you understand what to do in the different boxes. Uh, but you don't really get an algorithmic understanding from the model that do exactly this in order to create this kind of balance. And it's also up to any every organization to define what that balance would be. How much can we invest in uh, box three uh, compared to the other two? Is it like the Google model that every employee should work 20% or something own of their own every week? Do we have those those um, resources that we can work in that way? Or should it be like, okay, we can actually invent stuff for 20% of our budget every year. That's like, okay, it could be a lot for, for a lot of companies. Or it could be that, yeah, we can afford 1%. That's like what we have. So what the balance actually would mean is something you need to to make an understanding and judgment of by your own when you apply mm. this model. I also think it's easy to understand different aspects of your organization based on the model, but you need to change perspective from time to time. I think the first time you do this kind of intuitive analysis of yourself, you're going to end up mixing a lot of stuff in the model. You're going to find a mixture of of processes and uh, business models and uh, different kind of of cultural aspects and so on and projects actually. Uh, We've been using this model a lot with our clients the last couple of years to to help them create an understanding initially of where are you today, what kind of balance do you have, and we often see that people list a n- number of different kind of things at the same time, which gives it, uh, yeah, I think the the resulting image is quite difficult to understand because you mix different perspectives on different levels. On the other hand, if you 
if you focus on something like, okay, we're going to do a three-box analysis based on just technology, that's going to be the perspective. What kind of technologies yeah. are we using today in box number one and what technological explorations are we doing in box number three? It becomes easier. So if you pinpoint a certain perspective or like, okay, let's look at this from an organizational perspective and see what parts of our organization today, if you look at the chart, are connected to these three boxes. And yeah, then you can make it easier to, to be applied as a, an in-depth tool. Uh, but I would say the strength of this being a very intuitive tool to start working with is also perhaps a weakness that you need to, to understand that, okay, this is what the model actually brings and this is what I need to bring as an analyst if I want to use this. I think also a quite important learning that we have from applying this with a lot of our different clients is that it's quite easy for them to to draw up box number one. It's, yeah, that this is what we know most of. Uh, you often see a, a, a tendency to list things that they would like to do in box number three and not necessarily stuff that they actually do. Uh, so you have a lot of, of uh, ambitions in box number three, a lot of uh, initiatives mm. that we would like to take. We've started early with this initiative, but it doesn't really, we don't have any specific idea about what this initiative will be. Or So it's, it's uh, and I think that's like an indicator of what kind of balance you actually have, because you need to invent stuff to put there when you're asked uh, to do so. And a lot of, of, of our analysis shows that, yeah, organizations today have a really strong focus on box number one and with some effects for box number two, but yeah, they're, they're not really equipped for, for box number three work. And I think that's a major problem for a lot of organizations today. They, they need to face this. And they, it becomes quite clear when you see what they, what they need to produce and what they need to come up with. It, it's a wish list, I would say, in many cases in box number three. Yeah, you, you quickly mentioned uh, the perspective also of, of the, having a clear vision. Yeah. Uh, and and we, we have a separate episode where where I talk to Pat about that. Uh, but but, that, but of course that is can't be stressed enough. Uh, I mean, if you don't know where you're going, you have no idea, or where you want to go, you have no idea what what you know what to stop doing and what to continue doing and what to start exploring. Yeah, if you don't have that target picture up, you need to, if you don't have a clear vision, you can't really see if your box number one activities are going in the right direction. And at the same time, you can definitely not see what kind of box three activities you need to perform in order to get there. So, yeah, I think this this balance, it can be achieved on paper just without the vision. But if you want to have some kind of strategic action out of this, if you want to create a true movement, if you want something to happen, you need to have that vision in place. Otherwise, as you say, we will just do a lot of stuff, but we have no idea where we're going with this. What Are there, are, are there any specific pitfalls that you've noticed, uh, uh, apart from, from what you mentioned about um, not not being able to divide the different perspectives uh, and so forth? Is, is there any easily made mistakes that people can avoid after listening to this that we can share? Yeah. Yeah, first, from a practical perspective, when you apply the model, I think a lot of people have a hard time to separate, okay, this idea that, or this project that I'm looking at right now, is it the box one or a box three one? It's it's aimed at development. We, we are doing something new here, but is it new enough to be part of box three or is it perhaps uh, something that we should place in box number one? That's, that's like a very common uh, obstacle that you face. And I would say the easy 
solution for this is to consider the business side of that idea. Is it something that would be make sense and be would it fit our current box one when we succeed? If it does so, yeah, it should be a box one initiative because then we're we're just developing our business. Uh, on the other hand, if it's not clear if this actually fits our current business model or organization, it's not natural who should host this one if we succeed. Then it's probably a box three initiative that we're looking at. Mm. Uh, so I think that, that that's a classic uh, problem you encounter to divide between box one and box three when it comes to development activities. Uh, are they actually innovation activities or are they just development activities in box one? Uh, the other one, I think, is to have the clarity to place things in box number two, actually, because then you need to, to acknowledge that not everything you do is perfect. And that's quite hard, especially if you have a culture that's driven on prestige, that, okay, we are perfect. We know these things that we do exactly in and out, and we know how to do them well. So it's not going to be a good part of our self-picture that, that we acknowledge that we should stop doing things. Um, so that's going to be an issue, I think, for some some organizations as well. There are some other common things that, that occur that you're not really used to in many contexts. You're not really used to having that kind of discussions that open up for having discussions about things to, to stop doing or having discussions about things that we should be doing in box number three, for instance. It's it's a different kind of man mindset and vocabulary that a lot of people aren't really used to, to use in their everyday work. So you often yeah. need to find a common ground when you talk about this. You need to know some basic facts about definitions about innovation and, and, and business development and the difference between them and so on. So that could also be an, uh, an obstacle, I would say, from, from some of our client cases. We need to, okay, let's take a step back before we do this. And we need to, to make sure that everyone understands the terms that we're going to use and, and our, we can agree upon what they mean. Okay. Is there anything else you want to add that we, is there some perspective we've missed i mean we're, we're clearly going to come back to both the three box solution and how to work in especially how to work in box three to make that as successful as as possible but, but is there anything else you want to add yeah, it could add so much stuff to this discussion. i know yeah. i know Kelly, no, you, i think you we could should talk for hours but yeah, yeah. Uh, i think we should stop for now because i think yeah, we can easily dive into the three boxes and see what, what kind of processes you use there and, and what kind of logic you should use and how you understand those. But I think it could be enough for today. I, I don't see that we should uh, add anything more specific to this. It's been like almost an hour now, so I think it's a lot to digest, especially if this is the first time you hear about the model. <laughs> Yeah, and 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 uh, for whoever's interested in on the in the specific web page under if you go to hellofuture.com, you will find the podcast there, and you can go to we have a page for this specific um, episode, and there you can download a a picture of this three box solution, which is a, a picture of three boxes, but it, it helps it helps the mind, um, it, helps, it helps your thinking. Uh, we'll also paste uh, a link to um, Dr. Govindarjan's book there. If there's some, anything you listeners want to, to uh, have explained more in detail or anything, uh, just uh, let us know. And the easiest way to, to reach, reach me is podcast at hellofuture.com. And if you want to reach Kalle, how do they reach you? Well, I think you should put it out there, but it's Kalle at hellofuture.se, the Swedish branch. Yeah, Kalle, K-A-L-L-E. So I hope you thought this was interesting. Uh, if you did, 
be sure to hit that subscribe button in whatever podcast player you're using uh, and um, I think that's it for today yeah I think so too thank you Kalle for thank all you. those words <laughs> uh, and I'll talk to you soon and uh, thank you everyone for listening bye bye bye